The scripture for today is coming from Genesis chapter 22. And again, you don't have to stand because it's verses 1 through 14. We're not going to read all of them. But I need to lay a foundation. The scripture says in 22.1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And to my family, I thank you for supporting me and for keeping me lifted up. But isn't it amazing how things tie all back together? In our Tuesday family Bible study, this is one of the, the, we've been in the book of Genesis for about 10 weeks. And we began to talk about Abraham. I'm just going to read the scripture because God got something. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son. And I'm going to pause here and I'm going to give you guys an answer to something that's going to come up on Tuesday. The scripture says, and if you guys go back and if you don't know, in the book of, in the book of Genesis, how many sons did Abraham have? Two. He had a son by his wife, Sarah, and the maidservant, right? And his name was what? Ishmael, right? Okay, there we go. So there's, there's two answers. So God said to take your only son, but in fact, Abraham had two. So see, I like providing context so that you don't have questions later on. So when you leave here, you leave filled. So the reason that God said, take your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, was because in chapter 21, they had already cast out Ishmael and his mother. So in Old Testament law, once you were cast out, you were no longer an heir. God told him to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. Now, I'm going to pause here, and I'm going to ask this question. If you have a child, and you heard the voice of the Lord say, take him out back and burn him, how many of you would get up, go outside, and burn your child? Amazing, right? Amazing. Amazing. But we're all striving to get forward and progress in our relationship with God. But at this particular moment, none of us have the fortitude to go outside and do what he commands. That's your first gut check. That's a whole nother sermon. Then the scripture says early the next morning. Somebody say immediately. Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. Somebody say obedient. So we've got him acting immediately, and then we have him being obedient. There's no difference between Abraham and us. We're going to drop down to verse 5. Abraham told his servants, he said, stay here while I go with the boy over there. He said, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Somebody say faith. 
Because in this particular area of his life, Abraham had enough faith in God to have believed that he was raising people from the dead. So why not his son? Okay, y'all get it later. We, 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 we call on God to do things, but when it comes time for us to go through the harsh things, we waver in our faith. Here's an example of a man who lived to be well past 100 years old, who had the gumption and the fortitude and the belief and most importantly the faith to believe that God was going to take care of the situation. Okay, we're going to keep going. Drop down to verses 9 through 11. It says, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But this is where they say, oh, you got a ram in the bush. This is where it comes from. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham. He said, here I am. That's two times we've read that. Verse 12 says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me, held me from your son and your son from me. Now, let me ask this question again. If you heard the voice of the Lord and he commanded you to take your son or your daughter, build an altar, and lay them across the altar, and slay them, would you? Gut check number two. So even after seeing, and reading, and having evidence, facts, y'all scream out facts, text message, facts, all this email, facts, 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 facts. So what more is it going to take? What more is it going to take for you to get into a position to where you can successfully sacrifice the things that God is calling you to sacrifice? <sighs> it was me too. <laughs> it was me too because I had to think about it. In the beginning, I was like, Lord, if you, if you tell me, I mean, I love my kids, you know, can, can I negotiate with you? How about... You take their grandmother, she's about 90, I ain't got no problem because it's on their mama's side. Take her, Lord. Take, oh, I'm just, just joking. It's just a but some of y'all know, right? We've been in those situations with in-laws, not my current. Thank you very much. I love y'all. Can you imagine the, the angst, though? You see how we... We, we, we are the age that we are, and our kids are the age they are. Like, can you imagine being in Abraham's shoes? You waited 100 years to have a baby? 100 years to have a baby. And then to hear from your father in heaven, whom you have a close relationship with. See, that's the difference maker between Abraham and us. His relationship was a lot closer than ours is with God. That's facts. Because if we had that strong of a relationship with God, we would know that he wouldn't give us something. He wouldn't put us in a position. He wouldn't take us somewhere to leave us. Y'all going to make me work for this one today. It's all good. So for just a few moments, I want to speak to you on the topic, what are you willing to sacrifice for your cross? By this being the first Sunday in the 10th month, 
of the 2018th year after death, when you think of sacrifice, and especially on today, I'm pretty sure that our first thought goes to which scripture? John 3.16, right? I want y'all quote it for me. For God so loved the, he gave that who should, but I'm so happy that I didn't have to do that by myself. Thank you. And I understand that this particular sacrifice, the purest sacrifice that it could ever have been made, it deserves all of the respect and reverence that we can muster. But I don't want us to overlook this very significant incident that took place thousands of years before Christ even walked the earth. See, the thing about God is he's continuing to give us examples of things to show you that your faith is not in vain. So he did it for Abraham. Then he turned around and he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Now we say that happened thousands of years ago. Do I have any medical people in the room? Do I have anybody that's in the medical field? How many quarts of blood are in the body? Eight? Eight. Eight or nine? Nine. Nine. We're going to go with nine. I saw five and a half. I saw six. Right? We're going to go with nine. Nine quarts of oil. I mean, <laughs> it is oil. It's keeping you running. But just imagine, most of us can sit down and eat a quarter of ice cream, right? On those days where we Netflixing, we can eat a quarter of ice cream. Just imagine five of those in one person who was sent down from heaven to be sacrificed on the cross for our sins, hung there, bled out, died. His blood, nine quarts, was enough to, to, to last thousands of years later. Y'all don't understand the significance of that thing. Because there was only one that could truly be the sacrifice. But God has to keep showing us over and over and time and time again that his word will never return void. So before Christ came down, Abraham was put into the same situation where a father, similar to the one that's sitting in heaven, had to choose whether or not to send his son down to be sacrificed. So just like our father in heaven sent Jesus down, Abraham agreed to sacrifice his son who was the heir to all that he owned. In this example, faith led Abraham's sacrifice. In the scripture, we also see that the initial plan of God was for his creations to have a long, fulfilled life as long, and here's the caveat, because a lot of people will tell you that we were destined, we were created to live hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes, when you read the book of Genesis, you see that evidenced. But what happened is when sin entered the world, our days were cut short, right? So now what we have to understand is that in order for us to get to where God wants us to be, regardless of how long or how short, we have to align our lives with his will. There's no way around it. You can't be in here cookie cutter one Sunday and then talking about how much you love Jesus. But then when you get out in the parking lot, you flipping and you cussing and you doing all kinds of other stuff. And you can't do that and expect to stay in alignment. So when I look up and I see all of the death and all of these lives that are cut really, really short, these are examples for those of us that believe in the word of God and we're trying to align ourselves with will. These are examples of how short life really is. And if you don't take advantage of every opportunity that you have to get in front of God and to align yourself with his will, 
ultimately we shall all perish unless he decides to come before that happens. But what's going to determine whether or not you see heaven or hell is going to be whether or not you're in his will. So we have to begin to make sure that we align ourselves. I tell people all the time, when you decide to pick up your cross and follow Christ, that may be an easy decision. And the reason that I say that that's an easier decision is because how many of us got baptized and we were in church when we were little and we professed Christ to be our Lord and Savior? Right? Eight, nine, six, seven years old. Mama told us to go down front, profess Christ. We are, we're saved, right? But then when you got old enough to be able to go out and live your life and do what you wanted to do, you was out there living your best life, right? Doing what you wanted to do without any regard to God. So as my mama say, those invoices eventually will have to be paid. And I brought up the point of how easy it is for you to decide to accept Christ into your life. And I'll give you a better example for the kids that are getting ready to go to college. And I tell mine this all the time. It's easy to get in. But it's really hard to stay. So when you decide to pick up your cross and follow Christ, it was an easy decision. But when you decide that you want to stay, you've got to understand that you're going to endure long suffering. You're going to endure all kinds of tests and trials. Because he has to believe without a shadow of a doubt that what you said is the truth, is the truth. And some of us are sitting in situations because we ain't learning from where we are. And yeah, I know I used the wrong word, ain't. But at the end of the day, we ain't moving. The needle is still in the same spot. We ain't going nowhere. And that's because we ain't moving. We're not active. We're not engaged. We're not doing the things that Christ has called us to do. We're coming here, getting fed, being cute, and then it dies when you go out the door because everybody running to the ice cream truck. We forget about the things that, that were talked about, the lessons that were given out, and we go on to doing what we normally do. We live in our best life, right? When you decide to pick up your cross and follow Christ, one of the things that they don't tell you is that you have to sacrifice. God gave us, the again, the picture of the ultimate example when he sent his son down to die on the cross. That was the ultimate sacrifice. None better, none greater. So there's nothing that you can give up on this side of heaven that will even compare to the sacrifice of Jesus the Christ. So if you know that, there's nothing on this side of heaven that you shouldn't be willing to give up. I guess I'm just by myself. Here's where I can tell you that because, again, I believe in providing factual evidence to support what it is that I say. In the Bible, the word sacrifice appears 339 times, and there were at least 7,316 mentions of sacrifices or occurrences of sacrifices, whether it be by blood or some other type. So for something to, to happen at least 7,000 times, that means that that's got to be important to my walk with Christ. That means that I have to learn how to sacrifice. That means that I can't continue to worry about me anymore. I've got to put myself to the side and focus on what he's called me to do. The very first human sacrifice was recorded in the book of Genesis as well. So before Abraham, the very first one was when Cain slew Abel in the field. He felt he sacrificed the life of his brother. All because he couldn't control his anger. 
all the way to 2,000 years later, again, when we talk about the ultimate sacrifice, and I'm going to keep talking about it because I'm grateful that no matter what they thought they was doing to him, on the third day, he got up with all power in his hands, so it don't matter. If you don't believe anything before what I said, all you got to do is think back to when they hung him on the cross and they sacrificed his body. But then when he got up on the third day, there's nothing else that I would need to have happen in order for me to believe. So if you're more cynical than I am, then you got to get that fixed. You can't be a Christian and continue to be cynical about the things that Christ is calling you to do. And according, and, uh, here's where it also changes. According to Hebrews 7, 27, after Christ was crucified, they did away with the sacrifice, with the animal sacrifice, sacrifices requiring blood. And now it becomes other things. So we all know that Jesus came down from heaven and he took our place on the cross. The only thing that, again, that he's requiring from us is to sacrifice. All of us that choose to pick up our Christ and follow him, that is the golden rule to ensuring that you get to the next level, and I'll tell you why. Here's a few things that you should consider when you're deciding to sacrifice, to pick up your cross and follow Christ. Romans 12, 1a. See, this is where it's also important that you guys get into your Bible, because how many of you knew that there was a 12, 1a in the book of Romans? We start in Bible study on Tuesday. Come back out, get fed, get the word, because these resources is what you're going to need in order for you to be successful in the charge that God has called you to. 12.1a says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. God's call to those that wish to follow him is to sacrifice. Non-believers, so before you even become a Christian, you're called to sacrifice. So the only thing that a non-believer is called to sacrifice is their own will. Now, how many of us will give up our own will so easily? Right? So we perfect, right? We can give up our own will and not backslide and go back to the thing because half of us are still in that other thing that we were supposed to sacrifice a long time ago. Pookie should have been gone. Ray Ray should have been gone. Antoinette should have been gone. You should have been left that job. You should have been went and took a college course to advance your career. See, sometimes we wait for God to put everything on the table and it's not all about him putting it on the table. He requires us to get up and move. We've got to get up and move. Sacrifices don't just happen if you're sitting at the table. Yeah, you can push the plate away. But that doesn't mean that you've necessarily sacrificed anything. That just means that you, put, you ate what you needed and you got up from it. No, when we're called to sacrifice, that means that we're giving up something. God's mercy. When we give up or when we decide to sacrifice and submit our lives to him, God's mercy is truly enough. To be able to sustain you. So if you never hear anything else about sacrifice or what you should do or if you doubt sacrificing. And I'm not talking about money. This is not a, a ploy for me to try to get more money out of you. This is a ploy for me to try to get you right with Christ. Because half of us are sitting in here still hanging on to things again that we should have let go a long time ago. God's mercy towards you is truly enough for you to sacrifice it all if he requires it. So at the end of this, you need to do some soul searching and ask yourself the question, what will it take for me to get into a position to where I can give up things just like Abraham? Because it doesn't make you different that it was over 2,000 years ago that the sacrifice happened. We're still all under the same covering. The same requirement of Abraham is the same requirement of us. 
But more important, doesn't he deserve it? Thank you. He doesn't deserve it from this side, right? It's quiet over here. He doesn't deserve it. He didn't wake you up this morning. He didn't do the little things, keep food in your refrigerator. He didn't keep your lights on. Oh, I'm the only one that was living check to check at some particular point in time in my life. I got you. Thank you. I'll keep praising him for you. I'll, I'll intercede on your behalf if you need to. If we take the same ideology that we have towards our immediate family, those that are of blood with us, where we say that we will do anything for them, where we will take a bullet. How many of us have said that we, if we have children, how many of you said that you would lay down your life for your child? Never, somebody said they never said it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, I'm praying. How many of you would do anything for your family members? Which ones? <laughs> That's my brother. Bless my brother. Bless my brother, God. But he's telling the truth. <laughs> so here's the flip side to that question. How many of you believe that once you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior that you now have been adopted into a family? You believe that, right? So we're all connected now, right? So I'm your brother. You my sister. You my brother, right? So we family. So again, there's nothing that I have that you won't have access to within reason. You can't, have, you can't do that. That was wrong. You can't do that. God didn't, God didn't decide to save you with, 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 with any type of caution at the bottom. Here's the caveat. He didn't say that. He said that when I come down and I die on the cross, I die for everybody. I replace you on the cross and I take place. I take your place. So understand that once you decide to understand your call and the need for sacrifice, you have accepted your cross. Understand that now you have moved into a different category. Now you are in the category of the redeemed. The Bible tells us that being a part of this particular family is a privilege and an honor. Sacrificing your own fleshly desires for the will of the Lord is the key that will unlock heaven's door. Being selfless, not selfish, but being selfless when we follow Christ is what will allow people that are not saved and even those that are saved to be able to see a tangible manifestation of God's grace and mercy for us. See, many times non-believers, they don't have anything to hold on to. So the only picture that they have is the one that we paint. And sometimes our paintbrushes are so messed up that we paint a horrible picture of what this life of following Christ actually looks like. We get so down on ourselves, and we don't exhibit the amount of faith that we need to have. So when somebody that's not saved looks at us, they're like, why would I want to follow him? You over here struggling. You ain't got no belief. You out here fighting in the street. You out here doing everything that is contrary to what the example he gave us. So what does your paintbrush look like today? What picture are you painting? Some of us are too busy talking about our sacrifices, and they're really not sacrifices. We've just put pause on certain desires to see if we can get through the season. And we think that we're pulling a wheel over God's eyes. But as a matter of fact, what we don't realize is that we are pushing ourselves further 
and further and further away from the blessing. You got to stop thinking that you can fool Christ. There's no negotiating. There's no fooling. There's no pulling the wool over his eyes. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He knows all, sees all, and he controls all things. So you have to understand that what you're doing is you're only keeping yourself from the blessing. You keep adding years till you reaching your destination. You don't understand that, okay, I'm sitting in this same cycle of sin because I'm not fully giving myself to Christ. I'm not sacrificing my desire of french fries because I just love them so much. But me loving french fries, if it's a glutton, if I'm becoming obese because of it, that means that I need to push away. Some of us are, are, are obese in different areas. It might not be food that you're obese with, but you're obese with sin. You're obese with lying. You're obese with cussing. You're obese with adultery. You're obese with the things that God has called us not to be obese with. You got to understand that when you decide to pick up your cross and you decide to follow Christ, you've got to first understand your call. You've been called not for yourself anymore. You've been called to go out and win souls. So it's later for your request and your desires. Of course, once you follow him, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. So you shouldn't even have to ask. Your life is a reflection of who you truly are. And if it's a reflection that he truly enjoys and loves, there's nothing that he will withhold from you. But you have to put yourself in that position. And you also have to understand that this is not a selfish act anymore. It's not just about you. It's about everybody in here collectively. We've got to do our part to win more souls. God said that he's coming back for a church without a spot or a wrinkle. He's not talking about a building because I could throw white paint up here right before I know he comes. And then it's spotless. He's talking about he's coming for a people. We are the church. He's coming for a people without a spot or a wrinkle. So how do I get rid of my spots? I love the way that he tells me to love. I sacrifice my fleshly desires every single day. I can't do it just on Sunday. I've got to do it every day. Every day that he blesses me to wake up. I've got to sacrifice everything that is about me and replace it with everything that is for him. You want to know how to get out of that situation? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. You think it's easy. It's not easy. But that's why you're not alone. Y'all thought I was just talking when I said that you were adopted into a family. What happens when I need something? BJ got this long truck. We need to move. BJ, you my brother. Hey, we need to move. Ivory, I need these new shoes that just came out. Get them customized for me. Hook me up. This is my brother. He going to charge me? Nothing is for free, right? If, I, if he got to pay, I don't have a problem paying. See, that's the problem with most of us. Many of us think that because we became Christian, it's easy. We can come and we can get a handout. It's not about getting a handout. It's about getting a hand up. Come on, man. He's got to live his life so that if I need to go back to him on the day when I have nothing, I've already paid into him. So when I go to him and I need some credit, he already knows my character. And he knows that because I sacrificed previously, that I'll sacrifice again. So we have to get the mentality that we have to sacrifice. The second thing on the checklist 
sacrificing my will and ways for his will and ways. 12.1b says, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In order for us to sacrifice, we must understand that there are requirements to sacrificing. In the Old Testament of the Bible, a sacrifice required to be, they were perfect. Whether it was a lamb or a goat, it was a perfect thing. That's why he sent his son down, because he was perfect. Many reasons that the Christians live and dress the way that they do, and they act like the world. See, and I'm going to pause right here because I, 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 have, I, have, I, have, I have an issue. Many of us get better dressed for work than we do for church. Many of us put more reverence and respect on our jobs than we do our relationship with Christ. He calls for the best. And I, and, and, and I know I brought up dress, but it's not just about what you wear. It's about how you reverence God. It's about are you respecting him? Because ultimately, when you respect God, you're respecting yourself because he's in you. So everything that it is that you're doing is a, rev is a reflection of your love and respect for him. When Paul wrote the scripture, he first started by appealing to our will. He knew that the culture affected the way that we viewed God. Have you noticed the culture has tried to remove God from everything? And then you look at the state of our country. Our economy, they say it's at its all-time high, but our deficit is as big as it ever was. We put in rapists and all kinds of, all kinds of people in, in high positions, and that's because they began to remove God from everything. Only thing they haven't taken him out of right now is off the money. And it probably will cost them way too much more to print new money, so that's why it's a delay. But you get the right heathen in the White House, I'm pretty sure that the enemy will try to figure out a way to get that too. But this is the thing. We have to fight those things. We have to declare what the Lord says, and his way is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the what? When we were created, God granted us the ability to be able to make our own decisions and choose what we do with our life. That's where many of us make the mistake. But see, God is watching to see exactly what we're, what we're going to do if we will stand firm on our faith. Or if we're going to waver and give in to the wiles and the temptations that society tells us are acceptable. God wants us to sacrifice our humanistic desires and cravings and allow him to reshape our minds and our hearts from the inside. Because it's easy for me to change the way I look. They made it so easy now, and it's not a slight to anybody. But they made it so easy for us to transform the way that we look. We can go to the... To, to the doctor down there in TJ, or we can go to the one over in Inglewood, or we can go to the one in Beverly Hills if you got that kind of money. And they can give you a whole new face, a whole new waist, a whole new backside, everything that you want. You can transform yourself, but that's not what God called you to do. He wants to transform you not from the outside, but from the inside. Because if he can transform the inside of you, the outside is going to follow. So don't give in when you think that it's time. Oh, I just got to change the way I look. No, change the inside of you first. Continue to give yourself or begin to give yourself to Christ. I'll give you one other scripture that's going to definitely drive this home. See, I kept saying the word alignment, and many people don't understand what that means. But if you drive a car and your, wheel, and your car is out of alignment, what happens? You go all over the road, right? 
So if you are out of alignment with God, what happens when he comes to your door to bless you? You might miss that blessing because you're not in alignment. So in order for you to sacrifice and understand your calling, the other thing that you have to do is sacrifice your own ways and will for his ways and will. And to, to ensure that we're in alignment, Psalms 119, 10, 12 gives a very simple instruction. Now, I could have just gave you 11, but I always like to provide context. So I'm giving you 10 and 12 in addition to 11. The scripture reads, I seek you with all my heart. So how many of you have ever been in a situation where you've, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to get out. I don't know, God, please, please, please tell me something. Show me something. At that point, I don't want to say it's too late because it's in his time that things will happen. But for your human mind, it may be too late. But if you decided to step back from the situation and you decided to seek him first, bury yourself in his word, get in it so that you can understand that things happen in his time, not your time. That removes some of that apprehension that we oftentimes will have. That one will give us the confidence and the nerve to be able to stand and wait. Because a big part of being a Christian oftentimes is standing and waiting, standing and waiting. Standing and waiting, smiling through it all. Treat me like crap, smiling. Because I know I got the victory. Because you're going to have to come back and see me one day. As high as you think you're going up, trust me, brother, my sister. One day we're going to see each other again. And in that time, I'm going to love you the same. I'm not about spite or revenge. Because the Bible tells us that vengeance is whose? Okay. But too many of us try to take it on. That's why we're still in the same situation we're in, because we think we got better revenge than what? Okay, all right. Y'all go home and think about it. You hanging on to, to hurt that happened to you 25 years ago because your auntie didn't say hi when she walked in the room. And you're wondering why you can't move. These are the things that may seem small, but you leave a small thing. You put a small pebble in your shoe. And you walk around with it for about two or three hours. About 30 minutes into that thing, you're going to recognize that pebble. Right? So it's the same thing. You have to get those things at the early stages. You can't let them linger on and suffer. The rest of the scripture says, do not let me stray from your commandments. Here's verse 11. And this is one that's very important. It says that I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this is where it continues on to say, it says, praise be to you. But then it tells you who to praise. So see, sometimes all we have to do is read. Because in his word, it tells us exactly what to do, step A to Z. It said, praise be to you, Lord. Not you, Michael Johnson. Not you, BJ. But to you, Lord, praise be to you. But then it also says, teach me. Teach me. Teach me your decrees. Teach me your ways. Teach me your laws so that I know exactly what to do when I'm faced in certain situations. You've got to get out of your own way. Sacrifice your own will to get in front of somebody and submit yourself to be able to become learned. Too many of us hide behind the fact that we don't want to ask a stupid question. Well, I'm here to tell you that I teach people every day, five days a week, sometimes seven. And I tell them the only stupid question is the one you decide not to ask. Because I guarantee you this, the same thing that you went through, I told y'all in the beginning, you're not walking this walk for yourself. You're walking it for somebody that's coming behind you. 
God requires us to have sacrifice. Here's a question. And I know I'm asking you some questions because I want you to think. It's later for just a preacher standing up here telling you. You got to go home and you got to sit there and begin to do some self-reflection. So if he came today and he asked you a question and he said, son or daughter, are you giving me your very best? In all areas and aspects of your life, are you giving me your very best? Without a question, who could raise their hand and say yes? Trying, and that's all we can do is keep walking. Keep walking, keep living, keep trying. Right? But we're not perfect. All he wants to do is see effort from us. Again, I go back to what we oftentimes will give more credence to and more credit and more coot, and that is our jobs, our relationships, our families, and our finances. We'll do anything that it takes to make sure that those things remain consistent. But then when we get into situations where we need the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to come in because our faith is so inconsistent, he chooses to let us sit and learn and try and, and, and really fall on your face and seek him. He's not going to reveal it to you right away because you're not living a life that's pleasing. Many of us want, want, want. We live in a microwave society where we can't wait 30 minutes for anything. I know some of y'all sitting here like a cowboy game, come on, in about 45 minutes. But the fact of the matter is the cowboys can't get you into heaven. You have to sometimes be the conduit or the gateway for the rest of your family to be able to see Christ. So you have to remember that when you decide to pick up your cross and follow Christ, yes, it's going to be requirements of sacrifice, but you have to sacrifice the right way. You have to do things the way that he's called you to do. And if you're unsure of how to, it's right here in his word. There's a quote from F.B. Meyer or a question that he also asked. And again, I told you I was going to try to have y'all think today. It says, what hinders you from giving Christ your all? Then he gives you an instruction. He says, throw it off. Reduce the things in your life that weigh you down. He went on to say that thousands of Christians are like waterlogged vessels. They cannot sink, which basically means that we're sitting on pew and you were just coming every Sunday and we're not moving. Yet they're saturated with so many inconsistencies and worldlinesses, and I know that that's not a word, but I'm going to say it anyway, worldlinesses and little permitted evils that they can only be told with difficulty into heaven. That's what celestial point, port one is. That's heaven. So basically, we need somebody to help carry us along because we've been sitting here for far too long, unengaged, unactivated, and we're unmoved. So it's time for us to get rid of those things and get back to what God has called us to do. And some people may even ask the question, well, why is it so much on us? Why is it so much required of me in order for me to be a Christian? Well, we make things very difficult. The law is the law. The word is the word. It hasn't changed in all these years. The only thing we have to do is choose to follow. But that's the problem. We choose to only follow part of it that applies or it fits the puzzle that we're in right at that particular moment. We're not up here trying to live a life completely the way that God wants. We still want to have our little vice. We still want to hit up the strip club every now and again. And we still want to, you know, do some things that may be questionable for our character. And it's later for that. We have to solely commit ourselves to Christ. God is not asking us to lasso the moon and pull it down to earth. He's simply asking you to do what is reasonable 
according to his standards. I'll say it again because I think y'all missed that last part. He is simply asking us what to do. He's asking us to do what is reasonable according to his standards, not our own. So when you decide that you, you've got a great enough relationship to where you can negotiate with God, you better check yourself because there's no negotiation. It's his way or no way. His way or hell way. Which way you want to go? So don't question what he's asking you to do or telling you to do. Get up and do it. Here's the last question, and I'll move into the last little point that I have. While you're out living your best life at this particular moment, and I know that's the fad, right? Lil Duval, I'm living my best life. Yeah, somebody was going to sing the rest of it. I heard you. Does your best, best life reflect your real relationship with God? Does you living your best life reflect your real relationship with God? Because ultimately, everybody that's here, is supposed, your life is supposed to reflect Christ through you. So be able to answer that question for yourself, not for me. The last point is sacrifice on purpose. But when you sacrifice on purpose, sacrifice those things that are only good, acceptable, and in the perfect will of God. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if I say to you, sacrifice on, perf on purpose, what is good, acceptable and in the perfect will, how are you supposed to figure that out? You figure that out by going through tests, by going through trials and storms. That's how you figure out if what it is that you're doing is in the perfect will of God. You have to go through the things. You can't always ask to get brought out of something. You have to understand that you've got to go through that thing so that you can learn what he needs you to learn, and then you can move forward with your life. The word conform means the same pattern to be like. Society is telling us that it's okay to conform. It's telling us that it's okay for us to dress the same, to look the same. I tell my kids all the time, look, he's over there. There's one right there in the back. Look at his hair. And he knows I'm picking on him, but I tell him and his brother the same thing. If I go outside, there's 25 of y'all. And if the police came through the street and there's all 25 of y'all, they're going to take all 25 of y'all because if something was said that it was a black male, 18 to 25, with all kinds of crazy hair, they taking every black male that's 18 to 25 that looks like they've got crazy and wild hair. So the Bible tells us in his word to not be conformed. It says that we're in this world, but we're not what? Of Again, I go back to the purpose of sacrifice. The purpose of sacrifice is to align yourself with the perfect will of God. You cannot be saved again on Sunday. You in here with me, but then tomorrow you out in the streets doing some crazy stuff. The world is ruled by the enemy. And we know that the enemy has been sent down to do what? Steal, kill, and what? Add another de-distract. Because right now he doesn't have to kill you. All he's got to do is distract you. And that'll keep you from achieving God's perfect will for your life. Because how many of you can now look in your phone? I bet you if I friended you on Instagram, it would tell me how long it's been since you signed on. 20 minutes. 10 minutes for some. 5 minutes. And that's because we're conforming. We're giving in to the distractions. Those distractions keep you idle. 
He's not looking for stagnant, unengaged, sometimey soldiers. He's looking for those of us that want to be activated. Not just here for the show, but that those that want to get their hands in the mud and do the work. We talk about what's going on here at Heavenly Vision, and I promise you, if you get behind the scenes and you see, it's the same handful of people that get up and do the most for this sanctuary, for this fellowship. And it's a shame because we've got over 400 people on roster. But it's the same handful of people who are getting their hands in the mud and doing the work. And it's time for us to change that culture here. If we're talking about being elevated and moving to any type of new building, it's going to require everybody in here to get activated and not just wait on Bishop to tell you what to do. Many of us are of able mind. We run businesses. We've got money in the bank. We're in high-ranking positions outside of here. Apply that here. There's enough resource in this particular place for us never to have to go outside. You talk to Deacon Mike, and God bless him, he just got out of surgery, so keep him lifted up in your prayers. But you ask him, there's never a need for us to go outside of these four walls for anything. Because there's got to be somebody in here that can do something of everything. And if it's not, then you better learn, pick up a trade, figure out how to do something. It's not too late, but we have to move. So we know that the world is ruled by the enemy, but also the inner me. We know that God's word tells us that if he is not in control of your life, the other forces are. So there's nothing in the world that's more appealing than knowing that if I sacrifice, my reward is eternity. Now, many of you are not sacrificing because you don't feel like it's you know what's going to happen. You have no control over your destiny, so you only want to give just enough to say that you gave. It's later for that. We've got to give 100%. I tell my kids all the time, kids I coach, kids I mentor, I don't ask you for 110 because you can't give me something you don't have. So if all I'm asking you to do is give me 100% of you and the reward for you giving me 100% of you is eternity, why are we not jumping at that? Why are we not standing in line to give what we got to get what's promised? His word has never changed. There's people that's gone on before us that are sitting and they're waiting for us I'm getting ready to sacrifice, and I'm going to sacrifice unselfishly. 1 John 2.15 says, love not the world nor the things in it. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the coldest thing that I, I read in a long time because I know how easy it is for me to fall in love with football and for me to fall in love with coaching and for me to fall in love with a whole bunch of different things. But if the love of Christ is not paramount in my life, that means that his love is not in me. And I can't go a day thinking about going through a situation without having his hand of protection over my life. Without having him watch over and carry me and cover me and keep my kids even when I'm in the mood that I'm in. Even when I've sinned and fallen short, he still covers because his love dwells within and so that's all he's looking for. He's looking for you to sacrifice your own for him. So put him, where is he at on your priority list? Where is he at? We can all say, and I know it sounds good, but we all say he's number one. But in all, in all actuality, if you go through and you look at it, is he really number one? Because the first question I ask you guys about sacrificing your kid, let me know that he's not. I know that it's difficult. It's a very difficult decision. But at the end of the day, if God calls you to do something, you better move. You better move because at the end of the day, what happened with, with, with Abraham? 
All he wanted to do was to see if you was going to move. He just wanted you to get active. He wanted you to become engaged. He wanted you to stand up and start doing something to edify the kingdom instead of talking about what somebody got on. He wanted your focus to only be on him, not about what you're going to do after church. If this is the only time that you've given him, give him it all. Don't sacrifice this two hours if this is the only time that you've given him. Give him the full two. And then you keep coming back and we'll work on getting you up to 24. Because that's my charge. That's your charge. That's your charge. That's all of our charge. It's to get those who are on the walk. Because remember, we aren't all there yet. Everybody is at different stages. So it's up to us to adjust. Because once we know better, we've got to do better. And once you know better, your level of accountability or the weight of your accountability increases. Why do you think that the Bible tells us that once a kid reaches a certain age, they now become accountable? It's the same thing for you. When you decide to pick up your cross and you decide to follow after Christ, you now become accountable for winning souls, for maintaining the souls that are here. Many people think that you come to church just to get a word and then you go out. No, you come in, you get refueled, and then you go back out. This is a pit stop. This is a filling station. You get filled up, and then you go back out there, and you start to grab somebody else. Because that's what we've been called to do. It's not about what you got to do on 9 to 5. Your eternal life trumps your everyday life here. Because once you figure out sincerely that you are just in this world temporarily, but your permanent home and dwelling place is heaven, it doesn't matter. Everything that I do down here is setting me up for what I'm doing up there. I'm getting ready to close. But I'm going to sum up this whole thing about Abraham. And I promise if you guys take an opportunity... Go back and read the full chapter of 22. Abraham's sacrifice was solitary. And if you look up the word solitary, it means that you are alone by yourself, right? You're not in a room full of people. So his sacrifice was solitary. Nobody needed to know what it was that you were sacrificing. Because just imagine if I told my, bro- if I told my wife, I'm getting ready to take my daughter out in the back. Because God told me to sacrifice her life. Do you think that if she wasn't on the same level that I was, that she would not fight me? Do you not think that when Abraham said that that he was getting ready to go over here and worship, if he told those people that were with him that he was getting ready to go sacrifice his son, do you not think that he would have to battle Do you not think that he would have had to go through some things just to get done what God has called him to do? So sometimes you got to keep your mouth shut about the things that it is that you're going through so that you can get through them. And then you got the full dialect so then you can begin to share. Because imagine what it was like to be able to sit back and hear the testimony of Abraham when he came off that hill. But just imagine the hell he would have had to get through, get through to get there. Sometimes we invite hell into our life because we don't keep our mouth shut. Abraham's sacrifice was faith-led. He didn't dispute or try to negotiate with God. He gave in to what God told him to do. He took the instruction of sacrificing his son, and though he may have had some internal battles, he stood firm on his faith. And he knew that if God could bless me with one at a hundred, then he can bless me with another. 
Because everything that I do on this, on this day going forward in my life is to edify the kingdom of God. So every time that you stand up and you look at me, you should see Christ through me. So if, I, so if Christ gave me something and he told me to throw it away, if it was my Bugatti, and they know how much I love Bugattis, if he told me to donate my Bugatti, I would donate my Bugatti. Case in point, I was sitting over here during worship and then putting together this whole sermon I began to get convicted because I was like am I giving God my best because I can stand up here and I can proclaim everything to you I can tell you what it said in the word and I can try to make it sound all good and charismatic but if I look in the mirror am I living the life that you can see God through me So, Brother Dwayne, can you come here really quick? I've, I've been an avid collector. And my wife doesn't even know I'm doing this. But there's two things that I collect, watches and shoes. And I got a watch because I liked it. This is a $1,000 watch. God told me when I was sitting there to give you my watch. I wore this watch twice. A thousand dollar watch. I don't care about the cost. I'm being obedient. My level of sacrifice not, may not have been what Abraham's was. Because it's not about equal giving. It's only about equal sacrifice. So whatever God is calling you to do, stop wavering. Stop doubting. Stop second-guessing what he's telling you to do because at the end of the day, my obedience is better than the sacrifice. You didn't ask for it. You didn't even know I was getting ready to do it. But God, I'm being obedient to him. And I love you. That's all. You know what I'm saying? It's it. It ain't, it ain't much more to it. It ain't, it ain't nothing else we got to talk about. It's his. It's his. And, and again, I'm not doing this for show. I'm doing this to show you that I am living my life the best way that I can. I'm not perfect. I'm not standing here saying that I'm without spot or blemish. But when God tells you to do something, you'd be a fool not to do it. You'd be a fool not to do it. You'd be a fool not to do it. Now, I made my request known to the Lord. I'm obedient. Now I just need that fifty thousand dollar Rolex, Lord. Just just gonna put that in my pocket. One thing about God is He's a restorer. So the moment that you think that it's something. Oh, I just lost. He just gave that man a thousand dollar watch. No, no, no. I just invested into the kingdom. I just invested into the kingdom. I don't care. I can't take it with me. If I walked out of here and died with that watch on, you think they would give it back to her? Probably not. I'm obedient. 
I'm trying to live my best life being obedient to Christ. I'm not trying to live my best life according to what society tells me is okay. I'm trying to live my best life according to what God says is the right way to live. The last thing is Abraham's sacrifice was humble. When he took his son to the mountain, he said that we're going to worship. Y'all missed it. He told him that he was going to worship. He was going to worship. And then guess what happened? When he got there, Isaac had to be about 20 years old. Imagine telling your 20-year-old son or daughter to come lay on this pile of wood. Most of us would probably be fault. They would try to fight us to survive. But because he was led by the Spirit of the Lord, and the way that he was living his life was in complete alignment, his son didn't fight him. Commentary says that he didn't fight. Laid across the altar, bound him up, stared up at his daddy as he had a knife in his hand. Talk about sacrifice. Talk about what are you willing to give up to be in complete alignment with the Lord. Are you more concerned about what they tell you is cool? Are you more concerned with with, with worldly trappings? Are you more concerned with, with, with getting the best job and having the, mess, the best money, the most money in the bank? Is that what you're concerned with? We need to reprioritize what it is that we do on a daily basis. Is God your number one priority? Is your life emulating exactly what you want it to be? Or if he were to come here today, would he be pleased with how you're living? That's the question. That's the ultimate question that we have to begin to ask ourselves. Am I in alignment? If I'm out of alignment, how do I get back in alignment? You've got to get back in a fellowship. You have to be consistent. My mom prophesied over, over at the Bible study and on, on a phone call, prayer line. And she said, this is, a, this is a season where God is blessing those that are consistent. If, if, if you are consistent, now he didn't say, she didn't say perfect, she didn't say you didn't miss any, she said if you were consistent, that means that every opportunity that you had to get there, you got there. Every opportunity that you had to live your best life according to his will, you lived your best life according to his will. If he, does, if he wanted you to be perfect, he wouldn't have sent his son down to die on the cross for our sins. So he knew you were going to mess up, but all he wants is consistent faith. He doesn't want that wavering roller coaster type faith. He wants that consistent faith that regardless of where you go in this world, when people look at you, they see him. Are you there today? Are you there today? Are you there today? Are you there today? Many of us don't understand that we are truly living in the last days. People have said it for thousands of years, thousands, you know, year after year after year, you hear, oh, we living in the last days, we living in the last days. Well, if you get in your Bible and you read the book of Revelation, you will truly understand that we are living in the last days. It's not scary to know the truth. It's actually pretty, pretty warming to know that if I choose to live my best life according to his will and to his way, that I'm going to see eternity in heaven. I don't want that other eternity. I'm going to see eternity in heaven.
So are you living your best life for Christ today? Are you out here sacrificing the way that he's calling you to sacrifice? That's not a question that I can answer for you. That's something that you have to decide to answer. So we're just going to take a second. And I want each and every one of you just to just bow your heads. And just begin to focus on God. Because again, you have to sacrifice. You have to be in alignment. And as long as your sacrifice is humble, as long as you're obedient in your sacrifice, as long as you are giving 100% of you to Christ, then he will reward you openly. And remember, not everything that it is that you have to sacrifice, you need to talk about. Because not everybody that's sitting in here has your best intention at heart. But by you continuing to focus on God and living your life in a way that's pleasing to him, as long as they keep coming wanting to be petty and messy, eventually God's going to prick their heart. Because if we continue to show them love, if we continue to love on one another, if we continue to make this an environment of peace and warmth and love, then the next time you come, week after week after week after week, you'll see the pews filled with people who are chasing after Christ. That is your charge, church. That is our charge to sacrifice, to align ourselves with his will, to win souls, 